Welcome to Tech Bytes. I'm Craig Young, the CEO of Two Ends. Today, Lotta de Smet and I are talking with Frances Valentine, the founder of the Mind Lab, about her journey and her thoughts about how we lead into our digital future. I hope you enjoy this session. Well, welcome everybody to our first Tech Bytes for 2022, and it's my real pleasure pleasure to be here with Lotta de Smit and Francis Valentine. Um, these are our monthly chats with influential digital leaders. Um, we'll just get straight into it. So Francis Valentine is a well-known voice around calling us in Aotearoa to innovate, to build a stronger, more resilient future for all of us Kiwis. Um, she founded the Mind Lab in 2013 and the Tech Futures Lab in 2016, basically to foster the capabilities and skills needed uh, to develop this culture of innovation. Um, she's made a companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit for her lifetime contribution to education and technology in 2018 and joins us today. Kia ora, Francis. Kia ora, Craig and Lotta. So great to be here. And so I'd like to also hey. introduce Lotta de Smith, who is one of our leaders in our Flint Auckland team. Welcome, Lotta. Hey, nice to meet you, um, Francis. Really um, happy to be here. Hey, Francis, um, just would love to get to know you a bit more. Um, what led you to thinking about and then speaking about the future um, as your passion? I don't think it's an easy answer to that question. Uh, it wasn't really something I consciously did. Um, I actually ended up in the UK in the very late 80s. And basically, technology was starting to really shape business there. And I, I arrived at a time where desktop computing was really starting to become a thing. Now, this makes me sound really old, I have to say. But, uh, <laughs> but actually... It really started thinking about the workforce and how we would think about automation and how we were thinking about communication. The internet was in its you know, early discussions about what the internet might do. It was very, very limited, obviously, who had access to that stage. But I lived through an era of the really rapid change. And so it kind of hooked me in. And one of the things for me that was really interesting is I had no interest in technology before that, that time. It wasn't something I'd really fascinated over as a child apart from being a bit of a tinkerer, you know, I just quite like sort of exploring and tinkering with technology. And, and really, that was such a monumentous uh, influence for me as a young woman in London. And then coming back into Aotearoa yeah, a number of years later, really just thinking about how were we adopting and thinking about the changes that were going on in the world. And, and actually worrying a little bit that we were still very much focused on some of our, our core primary industries and we weren't really looking afar to the best practice within technologies of the time. And of course, since then, we've just seen this exponential rise of the impact of digitization and technology. And so that journey kind of hooked me in and, and here I am. But I did obviously um, merge in with education. You know, the one bit for me, the missing piece was, it's great to have new tools, uh, but you also need to know how to, how to use them. And so I became an educator at the same time. So that was really it. And, and was that sort of the biggest driver behind founding the Mind Lab? So like that's back in 2013. That's nearly 10 years ago. Yeah, well, even before that, so uh, 25 years ago almost. Um, so I was at Media Design School, so I was a CEO there. And um, so that was all around the creative technology. So I'd been in education for a long time. And really, the Mind Lab was sort of a, a combination. We started off actually teaching children. My children at the time were uh, young teenagers and I was looking at their schooling and, and being quite concerned that they were still taking huge big backpacks of textbooks to school every day. Um, and this is you know, nine years ago and thinking, gosh, 
there is a far better way to get information distributed. And, and even though around that time, around nine years ago, internet was still expensive and it was still limited, I could see that we were democratizing knowledge and I kept thinking, what is it with these books in the in the bag? And, and don't teachers appreciate that actually, you know, kids even then were self-learning, they were discovering, they were finding places like YouTube and really starting to think about what they needed to know quite differently. So I started teaching children and partially because I was trying to slow down and not uh, spend so much time offshore. I could come through a period of spending, you know, really significant periods of working um, each month offshore. And I was thinking, I really want to be a mum at home and have, have uh, an organisation where my kids can benefit from a different type of learning. And then as I got into that environment of actually having school groups come into the Mind Lab, um, very quickly after that, we realized that the market was actually much, much bigger than that. There was a huge number of professionals who were trying to navigate the change and just didn't know where to go. So we did uh, sort of a, a dual stream. We had the, we continued on teaching with children. We opened multiple branches around the country, but we started really focusing on graduate programs for adults and thinking about what did they need to know specifically to make sure that they could really thrive in their careers. So um, that, that was, uh, it was really just a, a product of time and circumstance, but also just a personal desire to spend more time in this great country. Yeah, and I think that just lovely, it really shifts into our next sort of point, which is obviously as an educator, you've probably seen that COVID-19 has accelerated digital transformation. Um, do you think that is able to be maintained or do you think the impacts that you've been quite patchy? would love to get your opinion on this. Oh, I think COVID has been the, the, an absolute circuit breaker in terms of of knowledge, um, we you know we've had uh, you know education has been fully democratized. So now you can learn from anywhere in the world. You can you know study at the best universities because everybody's put their content online. They've removed a lot of the excess limitations either through cost or geographic ge you know, geographic location of having to be in these great cities to be able to study in these uh, top universities. We've seen uh, a number of new entrants who've come in to distribute knowledge. So. There's a whole category of what we call MOOCs, Massive Online Open Courses, and, and they're really thriving. Um, and I myself are involved uh, with the Digital Boost Program to upskill New Zealand uh, small businesses along with two ends. And MB is just one example of how we've thought about how do we teach large amounts of people to digitize. Beyond that, we've become more um, informed. We understand science better. We understand innovation. We understand technology because if every part of the COVID recovery and response has had to rely on understanding the best practice in science, but also we've had to figure out ways to, to navigate around some of the um, limits of, of lockdown. So first and foremost, digitization helps you to do that. Distributed workforces, you can only do that if you're working with you know, things like payroll in the cloud or accounting services in the cloud. Um, businesses have had to think about supplementing their workforces because they don't have enough people to hire, and uh, not just here, but globally. So that means you think about automation, you start thinking about resources that are offshore and distributed around the world. You, you know, you, every part of the system has really had, it been sort of prodded and, and poked to the point, it's not really recognizable from a couple of years ago. And I don't think there is any intention that's slowing down. Uh, globally, we have a talent shortage that we've never seen. Um, people are thinking about where they want to work from in far greater detail about, you know, do I need to be in country? Do I need to be in the market, in, in that city to work there? Uh, I think the portfolio career of 
particularly younger people saying, I'm really happy to have a kind of a regular gig, but maybe only four days a week. And I want a day to work on other things or to spend more time with my family or to have passion projects. And then um, on top of that, you know, people are expecting flexibility. Technology gives us ultimate flexibility. So if you're an early morning person, if you want to work at five o'clock in the morning and, and finish, you know, by early, early after lunch, then that should be fully possible. Uh, so when people put in really rigid systems, like I think it's going to get really hard to retain good people because we realized that those constraints we had were totally tied to the efficiency of everybody working in a building together. And if you're not in a, in a building working together, then what is the purpose of a structure like a nine to five day or even a, you know, a five day week? So everything for me is on the table now uh, for anyone to take and, and to rebuild almost like in a pick and mix. How do you want to work? Where do you want to work? And why do you want to work? As in what's your mission and, and impact you're trying to achieve? Fascinating. We had one of our uh, young leaders in Christchurch take a job in Australia. He's a coder because he wanted to start later. And he's a night owl, so he wanted to start later in the day and finish later at night. So, you know, you're absolutely right. We're starting to see these examples pop up. Maybe I could just get you to think a little bit more about the future. So this is a shameless question on behalf of two ends because we want New Zealand to be in the top 10 digital ready nations by 2030. So a country like ours, what are the big ideas that we should be focusing on to get there? I think the first is understanding the reality that we are we're a long way from achieving that type of goal. And it's partially because we just don't have enough um, knowledge about what can be done. And that's no fault of our own. It's just purely we're a product of a, of a marketplace with 97% small businesses. You know, we trade with each other. We, you know, most people aren't involved with trading across the world. You know, small pockets are doing it very well. The other, the other part is we are disproportionately employees of the government. So, you know, more people work for the government than any other employer in this country, which is just the nature of a small economy. So then you have to say, if we want to become really digital, what is going to be the lever of competition that people say, gosh, if I really want to be able to sell my product into North America or into China or wherever it might be, what would I need to do to be price competitive, including things like the distribution and thinking about the impact of, of transportation and logistics and climate change and, and the impact of sustainability. You know, so by the time you build all those elements in, it's really hard to be competitive if you're not using technology to the best of our advantage. So I think as we start to look as a, as a trading nation to, to be competitive, but not just competitive on price, but on quality and delivery and um, capability, we will very quickly realize the only way to do that is to digitize. And the digitization process will become sort of put into, into fifth gear. And we'll have to start thinking about how we move our businesses into the cloud. How do we, how do we teach our, our teams? How do we inform our governance and directors to make sure they understand the risk of not digitizing and, and really um, you know, finding the right talent, training the right talent. But we, at the moment, have some really big um, hurdles to jump across, which is, you know, we have, for example, the lowest participation in professional development in the OECD for adults. You know, most people don't continue to learn beyond their formal learning years. You know, once they finish university, they often trade on that for life. So, you know, a 55-year-old is trading on what they learned at 22 plus what they've learned on the job. Whereas most markets, because of the competition, they're constantly having to think about retaining their job, but also retaining their market share. So learning and adoption is, is a really big part of any workplace. I think we're, we're a long way from that yet, but I do think 
with the pressure on talent and having you know that three percent unemployment rate people are going to be get, will get very clever about how you retain good people and I think a lot of that's going to come back to is training and giving people opportunities to learn and actually understand some of the things they're hearing you know if they're in a business and they're hearing all about data analytics or the machine learning or they're talking about new sensors through IoT just as some examples and they don't understand that then you're going to have employees saying if I don't learn that how am I going to keep developing my career and so I'm really hoping there's going to be this flexibility by employers to say it's not just about having someone uh, work for us it's about working and, and actually investing in those individuals and taking them on the journey and working together as, as they grow and we grow and, and digitize yeah that's that's exactly how I see it as well and I think one part of digitization is also looking at our workforce and, and seeing who is there that we can still tap into and so I just be really curious to hear from your perspective you know, we do have an issue around diversity and inclusion and how can we actually better foster that in the tech industry? It, it comes on many levels, I think. The tech industry uh, is an industry that always requires investment. And so you know, we're very reliant on particularly offshore investors coming in and investing to, to really take us from where we, we are. So if you start with that level, most investors are still very, very skewed towards uh, white men. It's no other way of putting it. Um, and, and therefore, the investment they look into is often flows to people who look or respond like them. And so there are now very much uh, the rise of investment funds and that are actually targeting diverse groups of people, females, uh, different, uh, different multicultural kind of founders, people of different age groups, but they are still the minority. So if you start where the money flows and pretty much where the money flows is an indicator of what comes next. You know, certainly that's the golden rule in technology is the wealthiest people show you what technologies will fly and those who invest early are the ones who have done the due diligence and figured out the chance of one technology, you know, really kind of escalating versus another that maybe doesn't. So I think that um, female participation uh, is still a really big challenge. And as we you know, having heading into International Women's Week, it's it's a really big reminder that we need to really focus on uh, females working in the tech sector. A lot of the great success, successes of New Zealand female entrepreneurs are in food, fashion, or or um, skincare, and so which is fantastic. But actually, the tech sector we need those great successes, and um, for me, I, I think we you know we really have to think about. How do we support young women and also people who are, who are coming in from other markets? You know, we're a great multicultural society. And, you know, how do we get you know, immigrants who are supported to grow businesses? Certainly, we really want to focus on Māori and Pacifica founders and actually saying how could technology enable them to do their great things that they're doing at scale so they can have more impact. But it has to be a really conscious effort. It's not going to happen organically. It's going to happen when people put a line in the sand and say, I'm going to make sure my next investment is female-led or it is led by you know, a, a great Māori co-founder or founder, or uh, it will be because of education, of actually having people like investors sitting in front of people who are pitching their businesses who don't look like them. You know, I do think that we rely too much on mandates or, or sort of a 
perception on the market to, to right the wrongs. Actually, I think it needs something to really kind of activate the change. And the best people to activate change are leaders of businesses um, or people who are in governance roles where they can actually say, we won't invest in another business or we won't hire another person unless they meet these key criteria. And not everybody likes that idea. You know, some people say you need to go with just what's in front of you and, you know, the, the best person always should win, et cetera. But actually, we know that if you use just the case of females, that they won't put themselves forward at the same rate as men because they don't have the same confidence that they have all the skills that they required. And this is so well documented. The other flip side is female-led businesses or co-founded uh, businesses always do financially better like there's just so much research around that now the more diverse and of course if you bring in further diversity and that's diversity not just in, in cultural diversity and age but also in thinking you know bringing in people who don't just think in a traditional way it could be people who um you know have a very different way of problem solving or it could be a person who's got a very very different background you know throwing a mathematician amongst with a whole bunch of creatives or you know putting in putting in a um someone who is you know, just a beautiful with words and is a really creative mind with a bunch of, of engineers, it, it really that, that neurodiversity is just as important when we start thinking about innovation and the success that we want to have as a country. Yeah, that's super interesting. I hadn't really thought of it from like the flow of money perspective. Um, that's, yeah, it, it makes sense completely. Um, and so for myself, like I'm super passionate about the tech sector. I'm really, you know, I've moved from law to, to tech and I, I've loved it. But, you know, I know there's going to be challenges ahead. Um, so what kind of words of advice would you give to young women like myself um, in trying to develop your careers and like break those glass ceilings effectively? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I was talking about this last night with a bunch of friends and we were talking about how much, how encouraging is there a lot more women who are just like you are changing careers and starting to see the benefit of technology. If I look around, um, you know, my peers of my age, there's almost no, uh, for example, no woman I can identify really easily who have have formed their own companies. Um you know, it's really hard. I mean, there's been an extraordinary woman in technology, but actually generally they've worked in with, with organizations that exist. Now I'm seeing in a group of women 35 and under, there is almost an abundance now coming through of, of us solving problems. They, they're taking technology into, into different verticals, you know, whether it be education or healthcare, they might be thinking about social impact and, and and really saying, I'm trying to solve a problem, but I'm going to use technology because I know technology. I've grown up with it. I see it. I read it. I'm familiar with it. And I think that's the difference. You know, there was no technology in my life until I arrived in London. Um, and even then, when I came back into the country, it was limited. You know, so and if you look um, at the age of most founders, they typically are slightly older. So we're not seeing them come through yet. But I definitely know now that there's going to be uh, just this tremendous shift in, in terms of the next generation. But what I would say is always find like-minded people. Like if you're interested in tech and you're a young woman, find other young women interested in tech. There's some great groups out there are in the marketplace. If you can't find one in your town where you are, start one, find meetups, do, you know, attend events. And while online events right now are slightly limiting in terms of the networking aspect of it, that's only a moment in time before we have to get back into networking. I think the more you attend those sort of networks and you start connecting in with people who are on the same mission as, as yourself, the better it is. The other thing I say to all young entrepreneurs is 
as soon as you know what you want to do, tell everybody you want to do it. Don't do this, I'll keep it secret, I want to protect my IP and things. Tell everyone. One, it sort of protects your IP in a, in a weird way because you're owning and putting a stake in the ground. But secondly, it suddenly attracts a whole lot of good people to you. And, you know, if there, if there is a secret talent that I have, it's attracting good people. But I think it's because I tell people what to do. You know, saying, this is my goal. And once I've done that, people, you know, contact me and saying, you know what, I really love that mission. I'd love to work with you. And so, you know, I would say almost all of my best hires ever have been people who have gravitated towards a project and said, I like what you're doing. So I think that there is this feeling of feeling very isolated at times and saying, what if, you know, I, don't, I can't find good people and I don't have the resources of other people and I'm a startup and I don't have the money. And, but I do think there is a willingness more than ever for people to be attracted to projects which are really meaningful and technology often is hooked in and attached to projects that are really meaningful. Yeah, thank, thanks, Francis. That comment around, you know, young women finding others that are of like mind, et cetera, it was one of the key drivers behind us launching the Flint program, the Future Leaders in Tech, because, and and we're hoping to get back to those networking type of meetings in the second half of the year. I've got fingers crossed. I'm optimistic that we'll be through the Omicron burst, et cetera. So really looking forward to getting those back underway. But just look, just to finish up, just coming back to you personally, what keeps you going, you know, with all the things that you're involved in at the moment? Look, I have a real sort of a restlessness, I guess, of wanting to make a real difference. And you know, I do have a lot of causes around supporting young women coming through. I'm involved with a, a group of fabulous women called On Being Bold, and we run an annual conference every year for up-and-coming female leaders. Unfortunately, the last two have been cancelled, but the one we were supposed to have back in December was a thousand women in a room, you know, talking about uh, what it means to be a female in leadership. Um, we use the funds from that then to support events for Year 13 girls around from you know all schools to talk about what their opportunities are i i really believe in education to change people's lives and and it's really one of those things that people assume that i started life as an educator and that's what i wanted to be and it couldn't be further from the truth i mean i didn't study education until i was 40 i went and did my masters at that point at the university of melbourne and up until that point it was just this restlessness of saying if people learn then actually they can be anybody they want to be. They can achieve anything. And again, going back to access to knowledge, it's not about having a formal degree. It's not about saying everybody should run off and get qualified. It's about staying in the conversation about change. And you know, I, I will do just a little a plug for a book that launches today, um, which is called Future You, which is written for females. And the whole book is focused on that one topic of saying, you know, if you decide who and what you want to be, the only thing between you and where you want to be is knowledge and connections. And so it, it is achievable. It, it's not about any, any more around the family you come from or which school you, school you went to. It's about actually saying, I have a purpose and I want to achieve it. And we don't spend enough, nearly enough time career planning, I think, in this, in this country. You know, a lot of it is sort of organic the decisions we make at 15 end up deciding what we study if we go to university or into higher education, which often then means we land in a particular career. And Rotti, with you, with like with um, 
law you know probably wasn't particularly it was probably you knew someone who was a lawyer and it looked like a good job or you watched some great tv series yep. <laughs> and then you suddenly and you get there and you go actually i'm not sure that's really what i want to spend the next you know 10 or 20 years doing and so i think part of this this is it's getting to the stage where we need to think about what conversations do we need to have with ourselves when we realize there's something else that's interesting us that's an interest that's popping up and saying gosh, I really think that's interesting, but it's not really necessarily what I'm doing right now. And feeling confident to say, well, that's okay. I can still go and learn about that and see where that journey takes me. You know, too often people get over-indexed by the people around them who are just doing the same thing. And you start imagining there's no other path out. But I think that there is multiple paths. And a lot of people now talk about the squiggly line of a career. And I think this is a really good way of thinking that it isn't a linear, you know, start at A and finish at B, that actually you can become, even within a sector, and, and if we chose law, you could become, you know, someone who focuses on one aspect of technology law or IP law to do with technology or ed tech or, you know, of or legal tech, whatever it might be, and saying, what's my unique proposition going to be? And how do I carve out that specialization? And then if you want to scale that specialization and create a business around it and hire others and to be an entrepreneur, then you can because you're not like everybody else. You've, you've, you've carved out that niche. And I think this idea that we, we replicate our competitors to look at, you know, just like them, that, that also is self-limiting. So um, finding your own space is really important. And technology literally means that you can find any space you want, like, you know, whatever vertical you're in, there's a technology kind of tack on or integration that can happen that can actually take you down a very different journey and actually make it very successful, but also have the impact that you're hoping to achieve. Thank you, Francis. I think the best decision I ever made was after 18 months of working as a chartered accountant, realizing technology was way more interesting and, <laughs> and moving sideways. <laughs> and it's good of people who act, not everybody acts. And, and what I see, and, and the average age of our students within the Mind Lab and Tech Futures Lab, uh, the average age is between 44 and 47. So these are mature wow. adults. But a lot of them are uh, in their 50s. And in fact, we even have scholarships for over 60s who have often come through a, a career, a professional career. And say, for example, they've got to their mid-50s and they realise they're not going to retire at 65 because the reality is they probably will live to be at least 90, which is another 25 years. And they're like, well, mm. how on the earth am I going to you know, fund that 25 years if I'm not working? So they've got this realisation in their mid-50s that I've got maybe 10, 20, 30 more years of working. And it's about time I made that change and did something that, that actually I really enjoy. It may not... It may not bring the same material success. It may not have the same, you know, sort of um, celebration of that career. You know, they might move into something that's more philanthropic or they might be more something that's more socially driven, but they're sort of exploring this idea that they're on a mission to do something different. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people in that age group, you know, 45 plus potentially is the most profound where they've said something has been happened in their life, a catalyst of change, and it could be a redundancy, it could be they've been passed over for a job promotion, it could be they've lost someone dear in their lives, and they suddenly have this realisation, the job I've been doing for a long time is not necessarily what I want to do forever, and I've self-limited my options, it's time to kind of pull off that band-aid, reinvest in myself, learn some new skills, and carry on my career with something I really want to do, and I love working with those students, they're, they're just just very, um, very motivated, but also have, they really appreciate that, that benefit of new information, new knowledge and what it can do to their lives. 
Well, thank you so much, Francis. I mean, we could go on for a while longer, but I know that uh, we're all incredibly busy and thank, very thankful to you for taking your time out of what is a very busy schedule with this week. I'll do a shameless plug for you as well. You launched this the book this week, Future You, Be Curious, They Used to Change. It's HarperCollins. Yep. You can get it on <laughs> Mighty Eight because that's where I've pre-ordered it. I've ordered it from. So um, just encourage people. And just to remind people, Tech Bytes is our monthly chat with uh, influential digital leaders. Um, we've got quite a backstory now that you can find on our website. You can find it on our YouTube channel. If you want to listen to this one again, it'll be on every podcast channel you can find under techbytes.nz so um thanks very much lotta and francis and uh, matiwa thank you